0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky.
1: Lucky?
2: Welcome to Crime Lapse, I am Eileen.
3: And I'm Charlie.
2: First of all, we want to apologise for our silence over the past few months. There's been a lot going on that was beyond our control. If you follow us on social media, you'll know that Charlie has had chronic health problems and has kicked cancer's ass four times already. But her health takes precedent over everything else, so we needed to take a break. But we're back. I was at CrimeCon UK in September and it gave us the push we needed to get back at it. So without any further delay, this is... Complicity.
3: On April 8, 2009, the Oxford Community Police received a report of a missing 8-year-old girl. Victoria Stafford was last seen leaving Oliver Stevens Public School in Woodstock, Canada. Victoria, known as Tory to friends and family, had been in great spirits that morning. The little girl had happily raided her mother's bedroom to borrow a headband and some butterfly earrings to wear to school and she was looking forward to some exciting changes in her life. Tori, her brother Darren and her mother Tara had just moved to a new home and that day would be the first time that she walked back to their new home from school. Victoria was supposed to go see her father that week. She hadn't seen him in a few months and was looking forward to it. She also wanted to watch High School Musical with her friends. Darren took his big brother duties seriously and he usually walked Tori and a few other younger children from their neighbourhood to and from school. On April 8th, Tori was supposed to walk the few blocks back to the new house with Darren. She was expected back by 3.45pm, 20 minutes after she was dismissed from classes at school. Darren walked another child home and went to their cousin's house and borrowed a bicycle to make his way home, and when he couldn't find Tori at the house, he cycled around the neighbourhood looking for her. Tori wasn't a shy kid. She would happily engage in conversation or get distracted along the route home, so her mother presumed she was just dawdling somewhere. She was supposed to be watching High School Musical 3 with her friends that evening, and one called and left a voicemail about it. Darren rode around until 5pm, Then he went back to his cousin's house and his mother called to say Tori had still not come home. Shortly after 5pm, Tara MacDonald, Tori's mother, phoned her own mother, Linda Winters, to tell her that Tori hadn't come home from school. Linda was close to the family. Tara, Darren and Tori had been living with her in the months before they moved. The mother and daughter drove around the neighbourhood and when the little girl hadn't turned up by 6pm, they phoned the police. The Oxford Community Police began a ground search almost immediately. They searched the school, the neighbourhoods where the family now lived and where they had lived before, and by the next morning, they had alerted the media about Tori's disappearance. The search for the little girl then intensified with more officers and the fire department searching the Woodstock area. When police spoke to Tori's teacher about seeing her leave school the previous day, they were told that students who walk home from school usually line up at the southeast entrance before they are dismissed, but Tori had forgotten her butterfly earrings in class and went back to get them. She left just as the bell rang. Police obtained CCTV footage from College Avenue Secondary School, which was just 500 metres from the public school Tori attended. The footage showed a little girl identified as Victoria Stafford being led away by an adult woman with a dark ponytail, who was wearing a white jacket. This development raised the case from a missing child to a possible abduction case. Children were kept home from school as news spread and the footage was released to the media. The Oxford Community Police were flooded with tips on the unknown woman's identity, with a number of people, including Tara MacDonald, claiming it was a young woman named Terry Lynn McClintick in the video. McClintick was known to Tory's mother, who was a recovering addict, Tara had purchased pills from McClintock's mother's house and they'd briefly met and discussed their dogs and the possibility of breeding them as they were both Shih Tzu's. McClintock was also known to the police. She had an outstanding warrant for another offence. So on April 12th, four days after Tori went missing, they arrested Terry Lynn McClintock and questioned her about the CCTV footage. McClintock laughed when it was suggested that she was the woman in the video and she denied any involvement in Tori Stafford's abduction. She did admit to having a white jacket and being in the area that day, but said that she was there to buy drugs, not abduct a child. McClintock was remanded into custody at a juvenile detention centre in London, Ontario. The police continued to investigate her further. The search for Tory began to slow down. Children returned to school as normal, with Victoria's seat remaining empty. The Oxford Community Police came under public criticism, after it was revealed that they had not issued an Amber Alert once Victoria was reported missing, and they responded by saying that the case did not meet the requirements needed to issue one at the time. These conditions were that a child under the age of 18 had been abducted, that the child was in danger of serious harm, and that there was enough information about the description of the child and abductor to create a media alert. That has since changed and the police only need to have a suspicion that the child is in danger to issue an alert. On April 15th, the Ontario Provincial Police were called into the Oxford Community Police to aid the investigation, as they struggled to keep up with the near 1,000 tips they had received. Many of these implicated Tori's parents, insinuating they were involved in her disappearance. Tara MacDonald was publicly demonised, with members of the community accusing her of being high on OxyContin on the day of Tori's disappearance. Tara had been attending a methadone clinic for two years prior to her daughter's abduction, and adamantly denied any wrongdoing. Tori's father, Rodney Stafford, pleaded for his daughter's return in an emotional Facebook post, asking whoever had his daughter to just drop her off somewhere and promising that "daddy and the world are coming for Victoria." There was speculation that Tori had been kidnapped in a revenge plot for a $20,000 drug debt her mother owed, but no ransom call was ever received and Tara insisted she did not owe anyone any money. Tori's parents underwent polygraph examinations to try and prove their innocence, but the mounting pressure from the intense media coverage of Tori's disappearance caused them to argue during a press conference, where Rodney accused Tara of appearing emotionless, and Tara accused him of crying for the camera. The pair had married when Tara was just 17 years old, and their eldest child Darren was born a few years later, Tori was born in July 2000 and the couple split up two years later. Tara had custody of the children, but was aided by her mother Linda. A couple of years after the marriage broke down, Tara began to abuse OxyContin, but began attending a methadone clinic in 2007. Tara begged the public to focus on her daughter and said that it had nothing to do with a rumoured drug debt. The investigation reached a large scale, with over 900 officers involved carrying out canvassing of the Woodstock area, extensive ground searches, air searches, canine units and combing through hours of CCTV footage. In early May, investigators released footage of a dark-coloured station wagon that had been seen on the same street that Tory was seen, walking with the unknown woman. Anyone with information leading to an arrest and conviction for those responsible for Tory's offered a $50,000 reward.
2: A composite sketch of the woman seen walking with Tori was released by the police. She was described as being a white female aged between 19 and 25 with a black ponytail. Tara MacDonald had been told by someone that the woman looked just like Terry Lynn McClintock and she told the police about her suspicions. McClintock was still in a detention centre and investigators went to meet her on May 12th for a second interview. In the interview, she told detectives that she had gone to the employment centre on April 8th and then went to pick up OxyContin tablets. She said that she had been walking on Fife Avenue, which was across from the school that caught Tori on CCTV, but she denied going near either school and said that she had taken Oxy that day. On May 19th, an order from the Superior Court of Justice allowed investigators to bring McClintock to Oxford Community Police Headquarters to provide a statement. She was read her rights and declined to have a lawyer present. She agreed to give a statement while undergoing a polygraph exam and was further questioned afterwards. Finally, the 18-year-old admitted to investigators that she was the woman seen walking with Tori Stafford. She said that on April 8th she had begun her day by going to a church on College Avenue in Woodstock to get food vouchers, which she used in the food and grocery store. Later in the afternoon she was present at the Community Employment Centre and submitted her resume, before returning to her house at 2.30pm. She then went towards the school where she saw Tori Stafford walking. She approached her and introduced herself as T. They walked together along Fife Avenue as seen on CCTV, before turning into the caressant care home, retirement home parking lot and disappearing from view. Terry Lynn McClintock said she had met a man named Michael Rafferty in early spring of that year. They were both drug addicts and at some stage in their relationship, Rafferty told her that he wanted to kidnap a child, a young female, who according to him, are easier to manipulate. She fed into Rafferty's sick fantasy and wanted to prove to him that she wasn't all talk. So on April 8, 2009, she approached Tori Stafford and led her to Rafferty's Honda Civic in the care home parking lot down the street. Tori believed that she was going to meet McClintic Shih Tzu, but instead she was pushed into the back of the car and forced to lie down as the car drove out of Woodstock. As they drove, McClintock made conversation with the little girl about her favourite things, which included Hannah Montana. She was even wearing a Hannah Montana t-shirt. Rafferty listened to the radio intently for an Amber Alert or news bulletin about the little girl's disappearance, but there was nothing reported. They drove to Guelph, Ontario, where they made stops to buy coffee at a Tim Hortons, Percocet from a drug dealer, and a claw hammer and garbage bags from the Home Depot. As seen in the CCTV, it was McClintock who went into Home Depot, and before she did, Tori begged her not to leave her alone in the car. She had earlier promised the little girl that she could go home and that she wouldn't let anything bad happen to her. They then drove down a rural road and pulled onto a laneway about 500 metres from Concession 6. When they parked the car, McClintock said she got out and left Tori in the car with Rafferty, who began to rape the little girl in the back seat. Afterward, she went back and took Tori out of the car to urinate. It had been snowing and McClintock said she could see blood in the snow on the ground. Even after this, she told Tori that she was a very strong girl and she brought her back to the car and handed her over to the man who had just brutally assaulted her. Tori begged McClintock not to leave, so she sat in the front seat and tried to hold on to Tori's hand, but she said she had to leave as she knew what was about to happen again. Afterwards, according to McClintock's statement, Michael opened the car and threw Tori to the ground before placing a garbage bag over her head and repeatedly kicking her and beating her with the claw hammer until she was dead. They then bundled the little broken body into garbage bags, placed it under nearby trees and covered it with a pile of rocks.
1: So, Terry, I'm just going to run through this one more time, okay? And you stop me if I get it, if I've misunderstood anything, all right? Um, it starts with Nick and Tori in the front, right? You're out of the car. Tori's, uh, they end up going into the backseat, yeah. right? Tori's calling for you. I said she has to go to the washroom. So you take your hand and you walk her over here, yeah. and she goes to the washroom, right? And you said at that point there was blood on her crotch? Yes. You, you bring her back to Mike, and he's sitting um, with his feet outside the yeah. rear passenger door on the seat. Yeah. Uh, Tori's on his lap, facing away from him. You walk away. You After how long do you think that was?
0: Wait, how long do I think what was well, from that?
1: From the time you bring her back to Mike after using was the washroom to the time you see her on the ground.
0: Like 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes.
1: Okay. So, are what else, what are you doing during those 10 to 15 minutes?
0: Just trying to take in the, my surroundings. Like I like I said, I glanced back a couple times. Like
1: hear her calling me.
0: Wanted. I, I tried after after I gave her back to Michael. After I took to the washroom, I walked away. Second time, I when I could hear her calling out for me, saying "Tea, make him stop." Tea, tea. My nephew calls me TT, like. (laughs) I tried to, I tried to walk back towards her. Like I said, I tried, I wanted to just, I wanted to grab her, just make sure, take her away from him. I can only take a couple steps and I felt like I walked into a brick wall. I could see, I could see him with her on his lap. Her struggling and I just like, Turn away again. I walked towards the street. He yelled out to me to look check out the house. I checked out the house. I turned away again. I looked looked over the fields. I walked. I paced a lot. Like I was pacing back and forth from like here this area. Like I kept pacing.
1: So you, when you look back, you see her on the ground. Okay, she's kind of lying on her back, but her legs are off to the side, yeah. right? Her feet are towards the back of the car. Her head's towards the front, but it's behind the open rear passenger door of the car, okay. right? Is that what that line is? Yeah. There? Okay. She's got a garbage bag over her head, All right? Did you say that you saw Mike mic kicker?
0: Yeah. I, so, saw I, her. I, Yeah, and I, like, I, t- when I turned, he like, was... Can I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get into, like, as much detail as I can, so it's
1: okay. If you don't remember, you don't remember. Where do you think Mike kicked her? What part of her body? Uh,
0: Ribs. Her rib area. Okay. Okay. Hey, and, and he, there's, I saw him kick her a couple of times.
1: And is that before or after he reached into the car? Before.
0: Okay. he, like, a couple of side, just little kicks. There was, like, a stomp, like, and, and then I'm not sure how many times, like, I looked back a couple of times and he was, uh,
1: and then he hits her in the head with the hammer? Okay, I see,
0: I, I'm, like, I said, I'm going to, I didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing, I see him swing. Initially, I like remember the way the hammer was facing, but I couldn't, I could I couldn't, he started swinging forward, I couldn't, just, okay. I I'm not sure, I don't know whether well, I closed my eyes or whether I turned, I just, I couldn't, What
1: well, do you think you hit
0: her with the hammer? In the head, because there was no, there was no, when I went over, when I helped them, when I held the bags for him, I was bagging Tori, like there was, she was in one
1: piece, she was, there was no marks on her body, like, it
0: was...
1: Okay. So her body goes inside these bags? Right? Yeah. How many bags do you think you used to put her inside um, through? Two, three, maybe. Okay. And then you lift her up by her feet. He lifts her up by her upper body.
0: Yeah. He has majority of the weight on him. Okay.
1: You carry around the front of the car. Yeah. And you guys toss her, um, and she lands between the front of the rock pile, right? Yeah. And the street. Yes. Okay. And then you put one rock on her. and might put some other ones on it. Yes. And you can still see a little bit of the garbage
2: yeah. Okay. McClintock claimed that back at the car, Rafferty used some water bottles in his jacket to wash the blood off his lower half before they got back into the car. He said that he didn't want to ruin his shirt by cleaning himself with it. They placed the now ruined white jacket, Tory's clothes, her brat school bag and the claw hammer into bags which they placed in the boot of the car. Rafferty allegedly said that they needed to get rid of their shoes so they threw them out the window as they drove and each put on a pair that Rafferty had brought with him in a gym bag. In Cambridge they went to a car wash and while Rafferty was washing the inside and the outside of the car even shampooing the carpets McClintock placed the garbage bags full of evidence into a nearby trash can. They used the bathroom in a nearby store to change clothes into spares that they had brought with them and threw the clothes they had been wearing out of the window of the car along the way back to Woodstock. Rafferty dropped McClintock a few blocks away from home, and they spoke about what to say if they were questioned. They agreed to say that they went to Oakville for window shopping. When McClintock got home, she took some OxyContin and wrote what she was told to say in her journal so she wouldn't forget or mess it up. McClintock was arrested for the abduction of a child under 14 and for the offence of accessory to murder. Police then arrested the man she said was with her, 28-year-old Michael Thomas Rafferty. Police interviewed Rafferty for four hours before arresting him on suspicion of murder. At first he said he just knew McClintock as a friend and that he had only heard of Victoria Stafford from the news. He'd even consoled a friend of Victoria's family at one point, saying he believed she would be okay. Hey
1: Mike, I'm a pretty... Get down to the facts, kind of guy. I'm sure you've uh, realized that from a brief encounter earlier, right? This is not rocket science. I've got what Terry Lynn has told me this afternoon, and I've got you. This is your opportunity. Terry Lynn's sitting right here. Tell us she's a liar. You've had no problem at saying, with her out over in the room, Terry's a liar. Yeah, that's what you're hoping. Have you stopped for a second to think about all of the forensic evidence that is yet to come in this investigation? And a lawyer will have to deal with that. How does your lawyer deal with your semen on an eight-year-old's body? I guess a lawyer would have to deal with such things if such things came up. Do you know how the legal system works, Mike? Who gives instructions to who? Do you instruct your lawyer, or does your lawyer instruct you? You instruct your lawyer. So when that happens... Your lawyer's gonna say to you. Mike, what do you want me to do with this evidence? See, Mike, I you know what I was right when I walked in here, okay? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull any punches here, okay? I'm not gonna try and kiss your ass, alright? I mean, let's face it. I'm a cop, all right, and in the last five weeks I've been trying to find out who killed an eight-year-old girl. Alright? I'd like to think that we don't have people walking around our communities who just, because they're bored on an afternoon, say, hey, why don't we grab that girl and, uh, and rape and murder her, okay? I'd like to think that we live in a community where people think a little bit more about what they're going to do than that. Do you think you're coming off as an innocent guy? Do you think you're looking like somebody who's been wrongfully accused here? You're going to see it however you want to see it. Well, you're right there, Mike. Nothing you do is going to get you walking out of this police station tonight without being charged with murdering Tori Stafford. You're right, okay? Because everything, every single thing Terry Lynn has told us as we go through checking her story, and we've just started checking her story, has checked out everything, okay? And things are starting to fall apart for you, okay? I just heard your name for the first time a couple of days ago. That's one of hundreds of names that I've been having my investigators look at, okay? Okay? things changed this afternoon very quickly when we had Terry Lynn in here for a chat. Okay? And I'm not saying Terry Lynn walked in here and said, hey guys, guess what, I'm involved. All right? She resisted. She took she took time trying to convince us that she wasn't. And then, for whatever reason, whatever twig with her, the light started to come on, and she decided, you know what? to get ahead of this thing. You know how much media coverage this has. You know what the newspapers are going to do with this, and to your family tomorrow. Okay? You think the cops are gonna be talking to everybody you ever spoke to in your life? That's nothing compared to what the media is going to be doing. This is a huge story for them. This is the next Paul Bernardo. Whether you like it or not, a girl and a guy kidnapping an eight year old girl. And murdering her. That's one of the most sensational things that have happened in this province since Bernardo and Carla. It's going to be a frenzy. And you and I both know that. And really, when you look at it, there's only two ways to approach this story from a media perspective. And I think the guy from Behavioral Sciences has already kind of talked to you about that a little bit. This is either two people who, whose lives were overtaken by drugs and all the stress and everything that goes on. And they made a, a bad decision. They made a bad, bad mistake. Or this is two cold-blooded psychopaths who were planning and plotting to snatch an innocent little girl off the street. And those aren't my words, Mike. Those are the words that the media is going to use, and you know that.
2: Over the next four days, McClintock agreed to assist the investigators in the recovery of Tori Stafford's remains and began to disclose details about the little girl's final hours. She admitted to going to a Home Depot store on Woodland Road, Guelph on April 8th at 5.12pm and purchasing garbage bags and a hammer. She did not know the exact location of Tory's body but gave investigators a description of a house that had been close by, that was at an angle and sat directly across from a dirt road. She believed it was an area of Highway 6 in Wellington County. She further described the scene as having a broken down fence, silos, a laneway that sloped by a creek and a large pile of rocks in amongst some evergreen trees. When it was publicised that arrests had been made for Tori's murder, her family were beyond devastated. While they initially planned not to have a memorial service until her remains were recovered, they had been told by police that there was a chance they would never find her body. On Saturday, June 6th, a memorial service was held at the Calvary Pentecostal Church to remember Tori, and to thank the community for their help in their search for her. Tara MacDonald made a statement to the congregation as a slideshow showing snapshots of the eight-year-old's short life played behind her. She said, I would give my own life to hear your voice one more time. My daughter will never be forgotten. Rodney Stafford, Tori's father, said, I believe my heart will never fully mend. Still believe I broke my promise. I'm so sorry. I never thought I would see an angel until I saw you. Darren, Tori's older brother and best friend, struggled to contain his emotions as he told Tori he loved her and missed seeing her every night. This episode is sponsored by Elfster. It's almost that time of year and nothing crushes your Christmas spirit faster than the stress of organising gifts for everyone. Elfster is the number one secret Santa app in the world. Elfster makes giving gifts easier by allowing you to create a free gift exchange. All you have to do is set the date and budget and Elfster will take care of the rest. They even draw the names for you. You can make wish lists to share with your family and friends to make sure that everyone gets the gift they really want. You can add gifts to your wish list from your favourite brands like Amazon, Etsy, Fanatics, Nordstrom and more. You can also shop from curated gift guides. Elster is trusted by more than 17 million people to arrange their secret Santa gift exchange. Go to elster.com or download the Elster app. It's E L F S T E R. Elster.
3: In early June, McClintic provided investigators with a hand-drawn map of the area. Despite hundreds of officers searching the area they had not managed to find Tory Stafford until July 19, 2009. Investigators obtained a warrant for Rafferty's cell phone records which showed he'd made a call on April 8th while in the Mount Forest area, more north than they had been searching before. While searching the Mount Forest area on concession 6, an investigator Detective Staff Sergeant Jim Smith noticed a house looked like the sketch the McClintick described to a sketch artist. It was opposite a laneway too. Following McClintick's description of where the body was hidden, he drove the car down the laneway, across the culvert McClintick had mentioned, up the sloping laneway until he saw a large pile of rocks on the left side near the trees. When he left his vehicle, he was immediately met with a smell of decomposition. Beneath the rock piles, he saw some of the green garbage bag McClintick had bought in Home Depot, and he knew that Tory Stafford was beneath them. The remains were removed and an autopsy was performed under the supervision of the Chief Forensic Pathologist of Ontario, Dr Michael Pollanen. Due to the amount of time the body had been in the location, and external factors such as the changes in weather from snowfall in April to milder weather in July, and the fact that the area had foliage, the remains were severely decomposed. On July 21st, the remains were positively identified as being those of eight-year-old Victoria Safford, using dental records and the items found with her body, a portion of her mother's headband, a Hannah Montana t-shirt, and her butterfly earrings. Tori had finally been found. Two hours from home, 103 days after she had vanished. A forensic examination of the area revealed a number of evidentiary items, such as bottle caps strewn around the ground. A search of Rafferty's home and vehicle turned up empty water bottles with caps identical to those found by Tori's remains. They also found a jacket like the one he'd placed over Tori as she hid in the back seat. A gym bag was found in his car. It had his semen and Victoria's blood on it. The back seat of the car had been removed, and it was not recovered, so any evidence that had been on it was lost, but they did find a mixture of Rafferty, semen and Tory's blood on the back of the front passenger seat. Most disturbingly, they found Tory's missing person poster in a drawer in McClintock's home, along with a piece of paper with Tara MacDonald's number on it, with Tory's mother written beside it. A private funeral was held on July 31st when Tory's remains were finally sent home. Over a year and a half later, in December 2010, it was publicised that Terry Lynn McClintock had pleaded guilty to murder in April of that year and sentenced to life in prison, with a minimum of 25 years to be served. There had been a publication ban on this after concerns that it would jeopardise Michael Rafferty's trial. McClintock had pleaded guilty to murder which had a mandatory sentence. The kidnapping charge was not pursued. She did not receive a plea deal or a lesser sentence. She wrote a sentence at the April 30th, 2010 hearing, which read in part, This is about justice for Tory. On April 8th, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I am honoured to have been able to spend even a brief amount of time with such an amazing person and it pains me to think about how many people won't get to see what a beautiful and brilliant woman I just know she would have grown up to be. Every night before I go to sleep, I tell myself that when I wake up in the morning this will all have just been a very, very bad dream. But when I open my eyes, I look around me and see that this is reality. I didn't wake up on that morning thinking I was going to take a child. Not in a million years would I have pictured myself standing there. But here I am, And I know that I need to stand up and take responsibility for my actions. Every day, I think that maybe if I hadn't walked down the street that day, that precious little angel would still be here. Every day, I ask myself why. Why did I tell myself that everything would be okay? Just why? I can't explain my thought process on that day. I can't do anything except be honest. I will never try to make excuses for my judgement calls or my actions. Yes, I was under the influence of drugs and yes, there are things that I have experienced in the past that may have affected my reactions to the situation I was in, but regardless of those reasons, it doesn't make what happened acceptable. Every time I close my eyes, I'm flooded with the memories of that day. I will never forget what happened, the mistakes I made, the failure I was. A million tears will never be enough and a million words would never be able to express how truly sorry I am. I allowed my own issues, my own past to affect the future of an innocent girl. I'll never be able to take back what's happened, but I've been trying to do everything I can to make things as right as they can be, which is why I stand here today. I would give anything to be able to trade that amazing little girl places, but I can't. And man, that hurts. Tori will never leave my heart. She'll hold my heart in her hands until the day I die. She's made me realise that I need to deal with my issues, that I can't continue on the road I've been walking. I owe my life to that precious little angel and all the people who have been hurt because of this. I have one goal out of all of this and that is to help other women like myself avoid winding up in positions such as this. I will do everything I can to keep other children safe and these are things I can do regardless of where I am. I also would like to help others avoid making the same mistakes I have, to learn what is meant to be learned from our mistakes, teach others what I was failed to be taught, and most importantly I want to help others in a way people failed to help me, and be supportive to others in need as only a few people have been supportive of me. Those are the people I hold dear to my heart, and I want to be one of those people. Enough people have been hurt as a result of this and I refuse to drag anyone through the proceedings of a trial. Spending the next few decades of life in prison is nothing compared to what Tori was robbed of. I know that my apology doesn't mean much compared to what was lost and I'm not asking for forgiveness as I stand here, but I'm trying to make amends the best way I can by giving you my life today. Rodney Stafford, Tori's father, had also delivered a statement. He said, I am Rodney Stafford, a father to two beautiful children, one who is no longer here with us. On April 8th 2009, I, myself, my son Darren, my ex-wife Tara, our family and friends and much to our surprise a nation, all became victims to a heinous crime, when one of our children was stolen in broad daylight. I would like to thank you, Your Honour, for allowing me the opportunity to speak freely and I apologise for any inappropriate language that may arise. I was asked if I'd like to write an impact statement detailing how the last year has affected my life. And yes, I have to. Not just for me, but for every person out there that would have liked to have had this opportunity. So please take into consideration what this victim is saying. I never chose to become a victim. It was forced into my life. All of our lives. With the loss of Victoria, thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people felt a tremendous loss worldwide. Victoria was a very beautiful eight-year-old child and an innocent little girl who put a smile on every face she met. It plays in my mind over and over again. The loss of Victoria has left an emptiness inside everyone that no parent should ever have to feel. And because of this, I've dedicated the last year of my life to bettering myself. And helping stand up for the truly innocent. The ones whose voices do not get heard. Not just for Victoria, but for all the children that have lost their innocence. This has got to stop. I'm aware that April 8th will always exist on my mind. But there's nothing I can do, or anything anyone can do for that matter, to bring Victoria's smiling face home. There's nothing I can do to bring Victoria home. Nothing. Nothing but visualise little memory flashes of her face every now and then. If I could rewrite the past, I would love to bring Victoria home in this never-happened period. But it did, and our chubs is gone. I have to thank everyone for their support in trying to find Victoria. 15 in a one and a half week of searching for any clues of where Victoria could be. The vigils, balloons, launches, memorials, Victoria's funeral, they're all heartfelt and made possible by total strangers all searching for the same thing. Answers, justice, but most of all, my little girl. How was Christmas? Easter, Halloween, Victoria's birthday, Darren's birthday, not the same. None of them were, nor will ever be again. No holidays were even close to the way they used to be. One of our pride was gone our family destroyed because one of our own was stolen from us. Not to mention stolen from us in broad daylight. Now in order to spend these holidays or events with Victoria, we get to go and stare at a burial spot for Victoria's remains, her little body buried beneath the ground, never to be seen again. But on the bright side, she was able to come home. No matter the sentence set down for this heinous crime, nothing will ever be close to satisfying the feeling of the loss of your child, forced into my life. You cannot prepare for it. You can only do your part to seek justice for what has happened and make others aware that predators are in fact out there, not just here, but everywhere. The hardest part of my last year has been watching my 12-year-old son try to continue through life, trying to figure out why the pod now only has one P. Who split the pod? And why? Best friends, torn apart. A brother and sister relationship that you only see in the movies. Darren has suffered daily for the last year. You can see it. He tries well to hide it, but you can see the emptiness. He misses his sister and feels guilt every day because he never walked her home. It kills me inside to see him cry, and for me to know that the one thing he wants now in life that can make him happy and put that smile back on his face, I can never give him. I can never bring Victoria home to see Darren, or to see anyone for that matter. Terry Lynn. Over the course of the last year, I've been forced to have feelings of hurt, anger and worst of all, hate towards you. All feelings I've never felt towards someone before and they are all a direct result of what happened to Victoria. As hard as this is for me, I do have to say thank you to you. Thank you for stepping up and accepting responsibility for your actions resulting in Victoria's eventual death. I thank you for aiding in the search of Victoria's remains and for all the information provided to help lead up to finding Victoria. It has been said that without you, we may never have found Victoria. With your aid, we were able to properly lay Victoria to rest. I now believe in my heart that you were just a woman under the influence of a controlled substance who took things too far. Still doesn't make it right, but it happened and we can't change the past. Victoria is and has always been a very huge part of my life, but now she's gone with only an empty void filled with joyous memories of a precious little girl, a totally innocent child with a heart of gold taken far too soon. I hope that during your sentence you find peace with yourself and with God, and just maybe one day I could learn to forgive you. But for now, excuse me if I don't. My little girl is gone.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Crime Lapse. Crime Lapse is an independent podcast that is funded in part by our generous Patreon supporters. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, you can join us on patreon.com forward slash And in exchange for your pledge, you'll get access to early release, ad-free episodes, bonus content and exclusive merchandise. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving us a five-star review. You can keep up to date with us on social media at Crime Lapse on Instagram and Facebook and at Crime Lapse Pod on Twitter. Stay safe. CrimeCon is coming back to London in 2022. Following the incredible reception to the first CrimeCon UK in September 2021, the event is back in the Leonardo Royal St Paul's Hotel on June 11th and 12th, 2022. We'll be back on Podcast Row along with some incredible podcasts like They Walk Among Us, Men's Rea, Morbidology and more. There'll be some fantastic speakers and interactive exhibits across the weekend too. The feedback from the people who were there in September has been great, so you do not want to miss the weekend. Most of those in attendance went on their own, but it didn't take long to make friends with like-minded people with an interest in true crime. Tickets are on sale now on the CrimeCon.co.uk website. Not only are the tickets at their lowest price at the moment, but you can get an extra 10% off when you use our code WINDOW. You can split the cost of the ticket into three installments to make it easier to afford, but the price includes two full days of content, access to talks, exhibitions, podcast row and more. Get your tickets now for the world's number one true crime event, CrimeCon UK 2022.